You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Welcome back, Poison Pals. Thank you so much to our Patreon subscribers who have paid for this service to hear us in your ears one week to two weeks early, depending. Mm -hmm. But we hope you enjoyed this episode because this one is Megan's story. So Megan, take it away. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it definitely has to feel like it's been a minute, but we've been doing some editing and improvements with the website and the show and re-releases. So yeah, um, it's exciting to drop a new story. It's fun. All right. So if you listen to our re-record of the Dorothea Puente episode, um, you'll recall that the drug of choice that she used was Dalmain, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't know if I said this to you in that recording, but whenever I think of Dalmain, I say it like Balmain. Yeah. <laughs> like the fashion. Yeah. Did I say that last time? Uh, okay. No, Anytime didn't. I see the word Dalmain. Oh. Okay. But I, I feel like I, I understand that connection. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and Dalmain isn't spelt anything like Balmain. It's not uh, It's not M-A-I-N at the end. It's M-A-N-E. So it is Dalmain. Yeah. But in my head, I'm just like Dalmain. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's the higher brand version, the luxury right. brand. Correct. But luxury. Yes. If we're, if we're, Talking about what it reminds us of. Whenever you say Dalmain, I think of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I also do think of Dalmatians. That yeah. is, yes, that is also in my it's brain. Like a, yeah, short um, version of yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Dalmain is a benzodiazepine. And um, I wanted to do an episode on benzos. Oh, that's right. And um, so this is this is that episode. And I of course, trying to be relevant with what's happening in the world, I wanted to use um, Jordan Peterson's story of benzodiazepine addiction to introduce benzos to the pod. Yes. Um, his story is pretty interesting, but I think that's because Jordan Peterson is someone who is um, very polarizing and controversial, depending on your viewpoints and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mostly wanted to highlight what his journey was when it came to his benzo addiction. Yeah. But if, but it would be impossible not to give some context as to who he is and it, going into that part of his life. Yeah. And then we'll tie it off with like, you know, typical toxicology and all that. Perfect. So um, I guess I want to ask Harini, mm-hmm. what do you know about Jordan Peterson? Or like, what's your impression of him in general? I got to be honest, I don't know who Jordan Peterson is, and I've never heard the story or that he had an addiction or anything like that. So actually, you said, sure. did you have any questions? I lied. I do have one question, mm. which is, who is he? <laughs> who is he? Great. Okay, great. Um, so that's that's something that um, I think that's a great start because mm-hmm. I recognize that given the types of podcasts that I listen to, the people that I spend my time around... Um, like to me, it's I know who Jordan Peterson is because of the interests that I have. Sure. Um, but doing this research, I was like, honestly, if you're not kind of tuning into 
Like if you're not tuning into sociopolitical commentary, you're not going to know who Jordan Peterson is. Got it. Um, yeah. Like I know who he is and I know that depending on the form of media that you're consuming, he can be extremely controversial or he can be extremely, um, what's the word? Inspiring okay. to some. Yeah. And here's the thing is that I'm keeping things partially vague. Like I will admit probably some of my biases will be, will come out as we sure. discuss, but I'm going to try my best to be vague about certain things because I don't want the focus to be about his political commentary. I want the focus to be more about the drug. Yeah. Of so, course. so who is Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson, technically, technically Dr. Jordan Peterson. Doctor. He is a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clinical psychologist. Um, a best-selling author um, known for very popular, what some people would call self-help books. Mm. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He was formerly an active professor there up until 2021 when he resigned. Um, He's a very popular YouTube personality. And in the last six years specifically, he has become an influential, what's called a public intellectual and social commentator. His sociopolitical commentary slash opinions are often labeled as conservative by the dominant media, and that can be seen as a critique or a compliment, depending on which media outlet is talking about him. Um, So that's kind of like what he does and what he's known for. Um, Before doing this research, I have personally watched a couple videos of him as a interviewee, like it'll be a podcast or something where he is invited on as a guest or, or a video where he's invited on as a guest. Um, I will be totally honest. I don't actively search these things. They are sent to me by certain friends who want like my opinion on stuff. So I will yeah. watch it. Um, and most of the stuff that I've been sent, I can't, I can't remember the topic that was being discussed because it gets heavy and I'm just yeah. like, all right, I can give you my attention as an, an, in an opinion in this one day when I see this stuff. But once I, I'm done giving my opinion and it's the next day, I forget. Like, yeah. I don't know what was talked about. But anyway, so I have seen his content or like him as an inter- interviewee. The one thing that I do recall from watching him, like this is my, if anything, this is my most dominant opinion about him. Um, and I think this this following quote by Nathan J. Robinson from um, a magazine Current Affairs, this this quote by Robinson accurately reflects how I observe Peterson. Um, mm-hmm. Peterson has been called everything from a fascist apologist to an enlightenment liberal because his vacuous words are a kind of Rorschach test onto which countless interpretations can be projected. Now, what that, what that means is that it's not, it's not a condemning of like, he's a fascist or he's an enlightenment. It's more of like my interpretation of Peterson is that he does use like very grand words or philosophies or ideologies. Like he, he to me, talks very philosophically. Yeah. Um, I think that's what he's known for. But in a way where sometimes when he speaks, I just get lost. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what you mean by this. I'm. It sounds very atmospheric from mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that comment of like vacuous words can 
lead to lots of countless interpretations. That's how I view Peterson. So yeah, whether you gotcha. whether you disagree with him or don't, me, I'm just like as a as a speaker, sometimes I don't know what he's talking about <laughs> at all. <laughs> he's just very, yeah, like very academic, right. philosophical. Right. Okay. Um, here's one thing that you might recognize him from, which I think a lot of people do not recognize him from. Um, I'm going to pull up an audio clip. Ooh, yeah. Love that. And you tell me if you have heard this used before. Okay. One moment. I also just looked him up on Google and I've never seen this man in my life. <laughs> so confirmed. <laughs> and that's, that's not surprising. I think really like if, if you are, like I said, if you are interested in what's happening sociopolitically and you follow media outlets, mm -hmm. you've probably heard of Jordan Peterson. That's it. So you got to know that. It's, you know, lots of things in life you don't get to do more than once. Now, obviously, you can have more than one child. But the, all I'm saying is that period between zero and four, zero and five, there's something about it that's really, it's like a peak experience in life and isn't much of your life you know because you think of it well, as a long time it's not that long man four years goes by so fast you can't believe it and if you miss it it's gone so you miss it at your peril and you don't get it back have you heard that audio it sounds familiar i can't say like right off the top of my head i'm like yeah that i've definitely heard of that but I've heard many like inspirational voiceovers on TikTok specifically. So I feel like I might have seen it on TikTok. So this audio was picked up as a TikTok trend. And okay. when I first came across this audio, it was actually, I just played you a Khloe Kardashian reel from Instagram. Oh she God. used this audio. And the trend, the audio has been used in a TikTok trend slash Instagram reels trend where parents will show them with their little children and how they grow up over time. And it's like very sentimental, very emotional. And so I actually saw it from Khloe Kardashian first. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing it more regularly on TikTok. And I remember seeing the Khloe Kardashian thing and I was like, this voice, where have I heard this voice before? <laughs> I know I've heard this voice. And I immediately, I mean, I guess if I had to think about it, it wasn't immediate, but I recognized <laughs> it as Jordan Peterson pretty quickly because he does yeah. have a very idiosyncratic, I almost call it like a Canadian Michael Scott voice. Like there's something about mm -hmm. Steve Carell's tone and his that sounds the same, except Jordan Peterson's Canadian. So he has like that, Dude. that little like uptick on certain vowels. Um, wow, Megan, which, I was so off because I thought he was <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, all I know is that he's Canadian. I don't know what other lineage lineage he has. Okay. Either um, I'm off. Continue. Right, right, right. <laughs> Not Scottish. Um, yeah, no. But I just thought that was so fascinating because at the time that I heard this audio and I recognized, I was like, that's Jordan Peterson, like undoubtedly, because yeah. that's how his voice sounds. Um, I just find it kind of interesting because... It, this is this is what helped prove to me that like as much as like in my circle people are talking about him and they're like oh I don't like him I do like him whatever all that stuff sure or like this you know when you're when you're in a bubble you just assume that everybody knows about him and everybody like doesn't agree with him or whatever like everyone mm -hmm. has their opinion about him like but a Joe Rogan situation exactly exa exactly the yeah. same um, hearing this audio made me real and seeing it used as a trend made me realize I was like. People don't 
people actually don't care. Like whatever's happening in that world and the debates around Jordan Peterson as credible or whatever and stuff like that, like not that's that's a very small minority of people who are tuned into that. And the proof is that or like, mm-hmm. I was going to say or people don't know who that was at all and just use the real because it's trending and they don't know like the context behind it. That too. That's another possibility. Or or the third possibility, which I think <laughs> is quite likely, is that people do know who he is through the media that they consume, but they only consume mm. it on a superficial level. So they don't sure. actually look at his interviews because their media source is telling them, oh, he's like, don't listen to him. He's X, Y, Z. He's you know, conservative, blah, blah, blah. And so maybe they, maybe they understand that superficial level of who he might be, but not enough Mm -hmm. to realize like, oh, I'm using a literal speech of his on my TikTok. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So it's just to show like, as controversial as someone is, like, he clearly still had a message that was that resonated and could be used on cute TikTok trends. So whatever. Exactly. That was just like an aside. I was just curious, honestly, if you had ever seen that trend. So (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Um, so here is, we're going to go into a little bit of like why he's controversial. Okay. Mm, Um, Peterson actually started his YouTube channel in 2013. So a while back Mm -hmm. where he mostly just re-uploaded, um, like old lectures that he had, or even like current lectures that he was working on or uh, topics that he was interested in. And a lot of them have to do with, um, personality or, um, biblical studies, um, stuff mm-hmm. to do with the Bible and analyzing that, mythologies. Um, but that's that's a lot of what he covered as a professor at the University of Toronto. So he was just re-uploading some of his old lectures. Three years later, 2016 comes around. This is the year that truly marks his escalation to fame as an internet celebrity. And what happens in 2016 is the Canadian Parliament is about to pass Bill C-16. And Bill C-16 is essentially just, it's a bill where the terms gender identity or expression are added as a protected category under the Canadian Human Rights Act. So for example, like mm-hmm. um, the Canadian Human Rights Act already had like race, sex, disability, all those things that we have in the state's tier as protected categories. Does that make sense? And this yeah. bill pretty much just added gender identity or expression under that so that mm. um, like the criminal code would would recognize gender identity or expression as a protected category against hate speech and potential sentencing of hate crimes to anyone who targeted that category. So yeah. it's nothing really new, nothing really different. But what um, happened is Peterson publicly came out and disagreed with that in a series of videos. Um, And his Mm. stance to very much simplify it is that he, he believed that adding this language and passing this bill would lead down to um, like the policing of speech essentially, which is a sentiment that we saw in the United Mm. States during 2016 through um, 2020, essentially. Um, so th- he's pretty much jumping into this conversation that is taking off during this time. Yeah. Okay. Sure. 
And so he uploads his videos. There's even um, videos of him debating publicly with students uh, who are protesting against him and his stance on the bill. And that's uploaded. And then um, a lot of that is used as fodder in some way for people who um, really disagree with that, that the, the bill and that that concept of like gender identity expression. And that's how he gets lumped into that circle of conservatism um, mm-hmm. and for some people, more extreme versions of conservatism. Okay. Yeah. So that's like the start of him being a polarizing figure. But before that, he was just like a clinical psych press- professor. Right. <laughs> so right. he was just, he was just chilling, doing his work. Mm-hmm. I So I guess I don't fully understand, like, what is he disagreeing with exactly? Like, he doesn't – like, I, when you say gender identity, like, mm-hmm. I'm assuming people – like, that the whole movement of, you know, how do you identify? Do mm-hmm. I define it as, like, he, him, she, her, yes. they, them? Is that what he's talking about? Like, he disagrees with that type of identification? Like, he thinks that's yes. uh, an infringement on people's freedom of speech? He, what mm-hmm. I understand is that he – does not agree with the government, Canadian Parliament, telling people that if you don't use certain pronouns or you don't respect someone's pronouns, gender identity or expression, um, specifically the speech part of that, right? Like honoring someone's pronouns verbally, um, that there's a risk that you could be put in jail for that. So that's what I understand he disagrees with. What, What did happen also is that he refused to call a transgender student by their identified pronouns. So that was something that was also very public too. What I'm not sure is like, is he doing that out of spite for the bill or is he doing that? I mean, overall, it's kind of, it's disrespectful to that person. But I'm like, is it, was it him trying to show a message of like, you cannot throw me in jail just because I choose to refuse someone's pronouns? Or is he as a whole against gender pronouns, specifically transgender folks using certain pronouns? So that's where his controversy comes in. So in 2016, his stardom suddenly just booms, rises. Um, In that same year, he is, this is when he gets prescribed benzodiazepines for the first time. Um, specifically clonazepam, which brand name is clonopin. And he's prescribed this after a severe autoimmune reaction to food. This is what he says. This is this timeline I'm going to use. This is what I'm taking it from what he has said in his YouTube videos and with a particular interview with his daughter, Michaela. Um, Because that's that's where he talks about his benzodiazepine um, dependence and what he goes through. Um, but there are some things that definitely raise eyebrows in terms of like, why? Like, for example, I just said he was prescribed benzos after a severe autoimmune reaction to food. At the end of the day, you can research and research, but it's never made clear why benzos were prescribed for that reaction because he doesn't, he never specifies, specifies what the autoimmune reaction was. Um, and for context, um, clonopin is usually prescribed for in the short term for management of epilepsy, anxiety, panic disorders, and parosomnias. And 
What we're not sure of is like, were any of those a result of his autoimmune reaction to food? And is that why he was prescribed a benzo? We don't know. Does that make does that make sense? I'm just like, I because I questioned, I was like, why was that the drug of choice that the doctor prescribed? Um, but we're not sure. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right. On to the rest of the episode. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like that's up to him to decide to disclose that information. But I'm just going to use what he's given. I was just going to say, I was just going to say that <laughs> yeah. I've never, ever heard of clonopin or any kind of benzodiazepine being given as part of like an autoimmune reaction. Like, mm. and I actually mm. don't know. I mean, I would have to do more digging. Like, I think that's a really great point, Megan. Maybe mm-hmm. his autoimmune reaction triggered a new side effect that is more permanent, like epilepsy mm-hmm. or something else that does require clonopin. And it's really interesting. Right. He's he's a psychologist, right? Now he's not a psychiatrist. Yes. You said, correct? Okay, yeah, Clini- clinical psychologist. Yes. Okay. Either way, like he would know. Like that's a very heavily used drug in the psych world that he would very much know about. So I don't know if it's one of those things. Also, I just have a lot of questions because I'm like, why even share if you don't want to like, of course, it's up to him how much he wants to share. But why even like offer up that information at all if you want to be Mm -hmm. private about the circumstances around it? Like no one asked. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. No one asked you, oh, what are you taking these days? You know? So that part is really interesting to me. But um yeah, I've never heard of clonopin or any benzos being used in, for autoimmune disease. If anything, it'd be like a steroid or something like that. So lots of questions. <laughs> yes. So totally valid reaction. I think a lot of people had questions when they heard about the story. Now, I can definitely answer like your question of why bring this mm. up if you're not going to share the full story, like if you're trying to send a message on benzos, like why bring this up? Yeah. So within the context of him being put on benzos in 2016, I think that this is initially brought up because it just so happens in that same year, um, he goes on a pretty – a controversial diet. This is something that he's he's also known for controversially. Um, and I actually first heard about this in one of my favorite podcasts, um, Maintenance Phase. Um, so if you actually want to hear a huge in-depth like story about him and this particular diet, like more specifically about this diet, mm-hmm. um, go listen to that episode by uh, Maintenance Phase. Though they are um, quite critical there's moments where they're objective but they they are definitely there are some moments that <laughs> are quite critical sure um that said the diet is called the it's a carnivore diet mm. i don't know if you heard anything about this um it's actually marketed as the lion diet by his daughter michaela who at this time is a nutrition influencer and um she has now become a more political commentary influencer just like her father um since he's been recovering from benzos uh but she has her own podcast Mm -hmm. but anyway what's what the peterson family is kind of like also infamously known for is that they went on this carnivore diet which is just on its most strict level it's just red meat and salt and water And at the time of 2016, when he went on this diet, so for additional context, like backstory, again, that this this is he's he's providing, um, Peterson has dealt with depression since he was 13. It's 
uh, to run in his family. Okay. Um, that's something that he's made clear. But he and actually went on this diet because he was dealing with a pretty severe bout of depression at the time. And I guess nothing was working. So they were like, food, there was... I guess food, your your microbiome, your gut can impact your mood or it might have some correlation to um, if you're de- your depression and level of depression. So he goes on this diet with his yeah. daughter and his um, her husband. And um, he claims that it like virtually cured him. There's a famous Joe Rogan experience um, interview that he does where he talks about the carnivore diet and pretty much is like, yeah, this worked for me. I am totally off antidepressants um, just from eating red mm. meat. And he did a this this diet of – he did a softer carnivore diet of red meat and greens for a whole year and then ended up restricting even further for about two months within that year to just red meat, salt, and water. And, like, he claimed that it, wow. like, helped him a bunch. And, of course, tons of people, nutritionists, naysayers – all doubters, you know, skeptics come out of the woodwork because it is like a very extreme right. diet. And it's like, should this be something sure. that's being promoted or marketed? <laughs> Question mark. So I'll leave that sure. up to you guys to digest. But like I said, I'll put it in the Yeah, sh- yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> Literally. So to, if, if your, your question was like, um, why bring this up? Part of me is like, I think he brought this up in order to promote the carnivore slash lion diet to say like hey i went on this diet and i got off my meds sort of thing now here's the thing here's the thing he only explicitly talks about coming off as antidepressants i actually don't know if he remained on benzos during this time it is unclear it's unclear given the timeline Uh uh-huh okay so just to get this clear in my head he references his use of benzos specifically clonopin in relation to this diet or is it separate that's actually a good question and i don't want to get this wrong um mm. i will have to <laughs> i'd have to rewatch the um the joe rogan interview because i know he talks about the diet there but i i feel like actually he okay. doesn't mention his benzos there but then he does an interview as of this year 2022 once he's come out of the crazy shit that I haven't even gotten to <laughs> gotten to yet. Um, I know um, where he he <laughs> does he talk about his diet again there? Like I don't I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm going to say I don't know. For, what I know is that he only okay. brings it up in relation to the antidepressants. So I should take back what I said that maybe he okay. didn't bring up the benzos in order to promote the carnivore diet. Um, but there might be some retroactive mention of it. So I need to do further research. I guess my question, like, I guess the better overall question is his, the mention Mm -hmm. of Benzos, did it come from him or was it something that got picked up by the media? Like they kind of snooped around his life and then it came out through the press that way. It definitely came from him. And if, if more, like what, what is fact is most of the mention of Benzos has been retroactive from him. Meaning like he, I need to just tell you, like, I'll summarize the timeline he gets on benzos in 2016, becomes hugely popular, ends up falling off the face of an earth for a year, comes back in 2020, 
Um, so like, you know, hugely popular up through 2019, falls off the face of the earth, comes back in 2020 and announces that he just went through benzo withdrawals and rehab. So that's where a uh, lot of the it's him. He is talking about it because he wants to bring awareness um, about benzodiazepine sure. dependence and addiction. <clears throat> um, Got but it. I there's here's the issue with <laughs> researching someone like this is that there are so many interviews with him. There are so many articles that cover him both in favor of him and, um, you know, supporting whatever he does. And then many articles that like just trash him um, or disagree with him. <laughs> you know, like he's he's so polarizing yeah. that it's actually hard to research an accurate timeline because some <clears throat> media <throat> outlets are so some media outlets are so um, tunnel visioned and how they want to report about him that they don't do the research. So when me as a small ass, like, you know, someone who's just trying to tell a story about benzodiazepines. Um, sure. It's hard to literally dig through thousands of like articles that can go either way. And, and it's like telephone, there's information that's probably inaccurate. And that's why out of this, in, in my research, yeah. I mostly <clears throat> wanted to use just what he said directly from his mouth, from his videos, because not that he's a um, reliable narrator himself, but like that's the most objective way I could like look at, <laughs> look at this. So of course. anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, I know I just summarized <laughs> it, but let's let's I'll go into how he gets addicted to benzo. So. Yes. Yeah. So he talks about the success of the carnivore diet with Joe Rogan on tw in 2018, but we are unsure at this time if he's still on benzos or not. We know that he's off antidepressants. 2019, um, his wife Tammy is diagnosed with a rare kidney cancer. She undergoes okay. two surgeries, um, with the second one leading to a extremely rare complication that damages her lymphatic system. The Ugh. prognosis is really not good. So the whole family is expecting the worst, you know. Um, Peterson is by her side through all of this, you know, changing hospitals, staying up late every night to make sure she's okay. And um, mm -hmm. what, you know, understandably happens when somebody expects their spouse is going to die any minute, he develops a very intense anxiety and insomnia. Mm -hmm. This is when mm -hmm. he is prescribed a higher dosage of clonazepam. Clonopin. Um, I didn't say this earlier. Okay. Clonazepam is the generic term. Clonopin the generic is the brand name. Brand yeah. name. He goes yeah. from a prescription dosage of 0.5 milligrams to 4 milligrams. That is a huge increase. Whoa. Yeah. Also, he is back on antidepressants at this time. Okay. And I think that is also, of course, associated with what he's going through with his wife. Um, sure. This is when he develops the dependence on the drug, going from such a huge, um, mm. you know, change in dosage. Um, she ends up recovering and coming out okay. And, you know, you'll see in okay, lots good. of articles as, as it's retold, the family sees this as a miracle. And so it's like, you know, that's very yeah. positive. Like, she's she's okay. She, she comes out fine. But... Um, he is now dependent on this drug. He attempts to stop cold turkey after like once when she's no. when she's good. He's like, okay, I'm gonna stop cold turkey. Um no, no. and this is when he experiences uh extreme withdrawal symptoms. 
and he voluntarily checks himself voluntarily checks himself into rehab in New York. Um, and and he does claim that he was advised to go up to the four milligram clonopin. Like he he says he was advised for that. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I guess it's relevant now. But another video that I highly suggest that I that I used as a source. Um, and I've used him before, actually. It's Dr. Todd Grande, who has mm-hmm. a PhD in counselor education and supervision. He's a licensed counselor, licensed chemical dependency professional. But he is a very popular YouTuber that was requested to cover this whole story on Peterson's benzodiazepine journey. And Dr. Todd Grande, he very much is like, it is exceedingly dangerous to go from 0.5 to 4 milligrams. He feels like that was not a good call if it really was advised of him. And then Peterson also says he was advised to stop cold turkey. And Dr. Grande is like, that's also like, doesn't seem like the wisest call if that did happen. The good thing about Dr. Grande, this is why I recommend him. Like if you, if you want a truly, truly objective, calm and good analytical view of benzodiazepine drug dependence and what Peterson went through, go watch his video. I will put it in the show notes, but like he's mm-hmm. super, super objective, um, keeps wow. any p- politics or, or context of like Jordan Peterson's background out of it. But he very yeah. much like looks at this from a drug dependency professional eye. So he's, he's, it's probably better than what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to do my best. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, you don't want to cut those types of drugs off cold turkey. So no. I'm really questioning whoever told him right. or gave him that kind of medical advice. Like, right. I, I like I I wonder almost like like basically I wonder if he had been given the proper medical advice and regimen mm. to taper it down. If he did want to get off of it, for example, if right. that's what if that's his goal to get off of it, then they could have tapered it down over the course of like a month, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. to get him back down to like his original baseline dose and then slowly wait him off of it completely. He would not I doubt he would be addicted. I doubt he would have to check in. But right. these are all what ifs. Right, right. So this actually goes in hand with a question that you had earlier, which was, he's a clinical psychologist. Like, wouldn't he know? Like, wouldn't he know the potential for abuse and all all these things? Um, I'm going to take the same stance as Dr. Grande, is that he is a very respectful language where he was like, while Peterson is a clinical psychologist and the probability of him knowing the risks are probably higher, it doesn't mean that he would be immune to not knowing the risks. And basically the sentiment of like, there are many, many healthcare professionals out there who actually don't know about certain things because maybe they've missed that. <laughs> it's like it's like you with the reading the clock like maybe they missed that day in, in medicine who, medical who school knows? yeah right um but in dr grande opinion <laughs> is that like for him anecdotally he's like i've met many people in healthcare who like actually don't know about certain drugs and the the risks associated with them like nobody's perfect um it does totally understandably raise eyebrows that this and I think what makes people raise their eyebrows about Peterson's story is that because it's because of his level of influence how Mm -hmm. heralded he is by certain parts of his fan base how how much credit that certain parts of his fan base give him and that's why I think people will actually use the story a story of someone who goes through addiction and withdrawal which is uh, from a humanistic standpoint like really sad but they'll they'll actually use it to question his credibility 
And as a whole, I'm just like, everybody's shitty. Like, we're everybody's shitty in this. And I I feel frustrated even saying that because it almost sounds like a defense to Peterson. And that my frustration, this is my bias coming out. My frustration is, listen, I've I've listened to lots of his stuff again because people send it to me. I'm just a lazy bot. Like, I wouldn't listen to this, like, because I just don't want to. Um, or but anyway. Uh <laughs> What I've heard from him, there are some things that seem completely rational, logical. I can agree with. There are some things I definitely don't agree with. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like it's the certain parts of his fan base. There's like there's a population of his fan base that like when he goes through this in his life as someone who's going through addiction and stuff that they will want and his family himself, like he himself, like they they want everyone to be like to treat this moment with kindness, you know, like this, this, like, look at him from a humanistic standpoint, all this. And I, and that's valid. But the issue is that when it comes to other people's own problems and, and lived experience and stuff, they don't reciprocate that. Like yeah. doing the research, that's what my frustration was. I, I really was writing and I was like, I'm trying to be super balanced on my opinions here and just like cover this story. But at the end of the day, I realized my, my frustration is that there's just people who adore him. They adore him and they adore what he talks about. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, you know, my condolences to him and his family who have gone through this hard time. Like, you know, nobody's mm-hmm. perfect, all this stuff. But I'm like, but you don't give that to other people people you like you're actively making it harder for other people to live yeah like i yeah that's that's pretty much it that's my that's my main opinion about him and his followership or the more toxic mm. side of his followership anyways yeah okay I hear you. so i was just gonna say megan that's what i was kind of asking is he a psychologist or a psychiatrist because if he's a psychiatrist i fully expect him to know mm. and i agree with Dr. Todd Grande, like there might be a scenario, there might be very many scenarios where healthcare professionals or providers may not know everything about everything because mm-hmm. it's not their specialty. But right. if he's a psychiatrist, this is literally his specialty. Like he right. would know the ins and outs of benzodiazepines like clonazepam, like clonopin. Like, yeah, but like if he's- psychopharmacology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. That is your bread and butter. But Mm -hmm. if you are a psychologist, you might know about them, but you're not prescribing. That's not your scope. You don't prescribe psych medications or anything around mental Mm -hmm. health. So Mm -hmm. he may have known about it, but he's not going to know the deep pharmacology. Like you can't quit cold turkey for X, Y, and Z reason. That is the role of his uh, doctor, whoever that is. And then does not – not to toot mm-hmm. our horns as pharmacists, mm-hmm. but that tells me that there was not a pharmacist consulted on that team because I would say like as much as like the way that people, if people are not familiar what a pharmacist does or still doesn't understand in 2022, here, here's what it is. Like a physician is a diagnostic, diagnostician. They are mm-hmm. the ones that are, are diagnosing you. And then there's a kind of a a counterpart to that, which is your pharmacist who understands how the drug works in your body and can kind of tweak it and tailor it to you as a mm-hmm. person uh, based on your age, your weight, gender, your past medical history, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? Because not every drug works in everybody the same way and everyone needs mm-hmm. a little bit something different, right? Mm-hmm. So and where where a pharmacist really comes in, especially for antidepressants and benzodiazepines, anything psych related, it's mm-hmm. really important 
for a pharmacist to be involved because they are involved in the tapering of that right. medication, a safe right. tapering down so that you don't go into withdrawal, so that you don't get addicted. Those are really high red flag alerts for pharmacists mm-hmm. to be involved. So I don't know, obviously, the scope of what his health team was looks like or right. did look like, but for that to be a huge red flag miss tells me mm-hmm. that that was not he was didn't have holistic care for right, him which right. is unfortunate and that's that's pretty much what dr um grande says is that he's he's ultimately respectful of everything that peterson says in terms of like his interview talking about benzodiazepines but it, it, the one thing that he was questioning was like i would just love to talk with the healthcare professionals that peterson met with before any of these decisions were made, like what happened yeah. there sort of thing. Like that's the yeah. big question mark, right? So totally. here's some additional question marks. Um, so he, he checks himself into rehab in New York. Um, during this withdrawal period, um, he develops a paradoxical reaction, which is um, called akathisia, which is basically mm-hmm. restlessness of your body, your psyche. Like, um, I think yeah. it's, it's probably mostly physical, but you just are always like jittery, just it's always a tremor, like, yeah. you're like a tremor, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And actually what I understand is that this is a very rare uh, withdrawal symptom that can happen. It can happen to like 1% of people who go through ben- benzodiazepine withdrawal. So Peterson, mm-hmm. in this regard, was very unlucky. Like, if, it, if this is something that he went through, he just got incredibly unlucky that it just so happened he's part of this 1% to, like, get this withdrawal symptom. So, yeah. in December of 2019, and this is what they say in the interview, after going to, I think they say about five doctors to figure out how he can get through this stage of withdrawal or get, you know, overcome wow. benzodiazepine withdrawals and dependence, um, they end up leaving stateside and going to a treatment facility in Russia, which is very, very fascinating. This, this is something that also raised a lot of eyebrows, like, damn, like, what are your connections? (laughs) Like, I know, I think her husband, I think Michaela Peterson's husband might be Russian. Okay, check me on that. But I think I saw that somewhere. So part of me is like, maybe it's not so much of a stretch. But yeah, they end up not having any trust in stateside recommendations or, you know, whatever they ask doctors here. So they go to Russia in December 2019. And he gets put into an induced coma to detox from benzodiazepines. What? That is wild. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because this was again, highly controversial in his story of like, I honestly am kind of neutral on it. I just have never heard of that happening. Um, Definitely only if you have a lot of money, I'm sure you'd be able to like, be able to do something like that. Whereas the way that I look about look at it is withdrawal is agonizing um, Mm -hmm. to go through that is it can be a life changing experience, but it's definitely something that can be a little bit tra- traumatic, I'm right. assuming, yes. for someone who goes through that. So to be able to kind of, quote unquote, turn yourself into sleep mode, do not disturb mm-hmm. until all of that is gone, until your body is basically recalibrated mm-hmm. is a huge privilege that not everyone gets to participate in. Right. Um, who am I to judge how someone chooses mm-hmm. to go about that? Like, I'm sure if everyone had the means to do that, they would probably choose to do that as well. So that's... I'm pretty neutral on it. That's just it is what it is. Okay. So so from a yeah, from a resource 
potentially financial standpoint. I think yeah. that's that's kind of like how I felt. I was like, wow, like that's very um you know, lucky for them to have that option to go to Russia to do that. That said, I was actually more, I was asking like your thoughts on the induced coma. Like what was Mm -hmm. controversial about that is that's actually something that raised a lot of eyebrows because it's a very extreme thing to do to help someone go, um, you know, work through their withdrawals and detox. I, I wish I wrote the quote down but basically but like the reason why that's odd is because going into an induced coma has so many risks that like is not worth compounding with just trying to to taper off a drug yeah i don't know well sorry just to to cut in really quick for for fact checking purposes you're right michaela peterson's i guess her ex-husband her ex-husband now he is he is a Soviet rower. That is oh, his occupation. So okay. he participated in the 1988 Summer Olympics. So he nice. is Russian. Thank you for factoring um, I think she. I think she is Russian. There might be some Russian descent on the Peterson side. I don't know because of the way her name is spelled. Spelled to Mikhaila with like with M I K H A I L A, like Mikhail type of thing. Oh, so oh. maybe I don't know. I did not maybe. look into their genealogy. Let's we'll, we'll check yeah. That so out. If, it's, if it's not legit, I will edit that out. <laughs> But thank okay, you okay, yeah, please yeah. do. Um, sure. So yeah. what I was I was just gonna say about the induced coma, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm kind of understanding where you're getting at. I think it's hard for me to uh see this from your perspective because yeah. I don't know him mm-hmm. and I've never consumed any of his content. Sure, sure. But I, I'm noticing a pattern of frustration perhaps mm-hmm. from like the people who maybe not don't like him as much because mm-hmm. he keeps Maybe he like keeps touting himself about certain things and being mm-hmm. su- super healthy or being like very knowledgeable or an intellectual and academic. Mm-hmm. But then he chooses a lot of or he decides to engage in a lot of questionable yeah. activities. Um, and I think this is another aspect. It's like, why would you choose to induce yourself? It's such a, an extreme act where whereas like it's it's very simple to just I want I don't want to say it's simple, mm-hmm. but the alternative that many people have done and mm-hmm. it works is just tapering mm-hmm. and going through a certain protocol or regimen for withdrawal. Right. So why right. go to this extreme length to to do something that already has a, a an established regimen for? Right. Like it's not like this novel thing like going through withdrawal. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not like it needs a novel novel remedy for. Right. Which it seems like he's venturing towards. It's right. It's interesting. I think I don't know what you to make s- of that. No, I. I think you summarized that beautifully in terms of sentiments around him, why he and this whole story can cause frustration um, for people, both people that are part of his fan base and those who are not. Um, And it is Mm -hmm. exactly what you say is that, well, like uh, going into more context, like the self-help books that he writes, like some of the stuff that he puts in there or the stuff that he's talked about on YouTube are like, very contradictory to these actions and like these things that sure. he's, he's shown or pursued. And I can see how people will be like, well, that's hypocritical or like, is he credible because he keeps, he keeps doing things that might not be what he's verbally um, putting mm-hmm. out into the world or like um, being philosophical about. Um, so that's definitely, that's definitely a frustration that I think is there at the end of the day. 
we don't know why they chose to go to Russia for this. Um, so to, to follow up, finish on that, this part, he's put into mm-hmm. an induced coma for eight, eight to nine days. I've heard both numbers. So I'm just going to say Whoa. eight to nine days. And what is actually unclear is whether he's put in the induced coma for, for a detox or if he's put in an induced coma because he had pneumonia. Because when he is admitted to the hospital, he does have pneumonia at this time. But we don't know, like, what purpose the induced coma had in general, right? Um, That's weird. If if he was put into the coma for the purpose of detox, that is definitely weird. Um, and I think across the board that's definitely something that's weird. And like, there's a lot of theories of maybe that's why he left the, left the States and didn't go along with everyone. What was, what people were saying here, because in Canada, you know, countries that he's from, they don't allow for that. If someone is like, I want to detox and I want you to put me in a induced coma, or that's something that I'd like to explore. They don't, that's not legal. They won't let you do that. So like, maybe like the, the theory is like, maybe because that wasn't allowed, they chose to go somewhere else that allowed for it to do like a high risk thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it worked out for him. So he he comes out of the coma. Um, he um, he talks a little bit about what it's like immediately after he comes out. He said that there is a lot of um, time distortion that he experienced. He just didn't know where he was, you know. And that and I'm like to mm-hmm. me, that's like the risks that are listed when you go into a deuce coma is that you get you can have amnesia or just like you're just. Pfft. Like your brain was yeah. <laughs> was sedated, so right, um, right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so he does stabilize. He's moved to another rehab facility in Russia. Um, I guess things seem to be going better. He goes to Florida. I don't I actually don't know what his affiliation is with Florida. Maybe <laughs> he has home there, um, but things aren't too great in Florida. So they he gets moved to a facility in Serbia, and that's when he does mm-hmm. the the interview with his daughter. Um, announcing what he's been through and his benzodiazepine addiction and all that. And this particular interview is notable because it's the first time he's been seen publicly in a year. So remember when I said oh, he wow. fell off the face yeah. of the earth? He literally just fell off YouTube. No one was wow. talking about him anymore. Like if you were paying attention to big media sources like Fox or CNN or MSM, whatever, like people were right. always talking about him in 2019. And then suddenly like, late 2019 to 2020 he's gone um oh and mm-hmm. i didn't give the full dates but he's at the russian hospital from december 2019 to february of 2020 he is there for a long okay. long time that's um, long time. yeah fast forward ends up in serbia does the interview and at that time he's like i'm i'm better but not all the way there um and in the interview he says some things that like are fine or whatever talking about his own lived experience but he starts with yeah. something that i was like what <laughs> i will say like the moment i saw i heard what he said i was like no dude like no like i can factually be like no dr todd grande right. can agree with me there and i'm glad that that i have someone credible to back me but you would also sure agree sure. like so in the interview he starts he starts saying something like, you know, benzodiazepines are a real problem. Um, it's it's like an epidemic. I, I, it's probably worse than the opiate apide- epidemic. And he says that and just keeps going. And to his no, credit, no. he says probably. Uh, to his yeah, credit, yeah, he yeah. does say the word probably. But I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> like, and and no. there was a moment of like self-doubt. I was like, okay, maybe I need to fact it, fact check it. 
it's such an easy fact check. Like a hundred percent, the data says <laughs> no. The opioid epidemic is so much worse than the benzo, benzo, whatever's happening with benzos. Yep. Um, there are opioid yep. and benzo combined lethalities out there, deaths out there. But at the end of the day, like go into NCBI, sure, sure. just look up opioid versus benzo death, whatever. There's charts. It's easy. <laughs> so that was yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if it is like a, even if it's like a opiate, opiate. or op- mm-hmm. yeah, opiate benzo induced mm-hmm. uh, death, it's being led right. by the opiate, right. not by the benzo, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was anyways, that was just something that I thought was <laughs> ultimately <going>. comical, <laughs> and I was just like, again, that was a statement where I'm like, okay, credibility, like you. You could have, Jordan, you could have easily looked this up. This is not a hard thing to look up, but it is what it is. So that's just one thing. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I think he's officially back in Canada at this point, and he's creating new content. He's back on YouTube. Um, In one of his most recent interviews with Joe Rogan, he did an interview with uh, Rogan on in January of this year, 2022. Rogan actually asks... Um, like, when did they know? When was it in the literature that difficulty of detoxing? Um, when was it in the literature of uh, difficulty of detoxing yourself off these? I tried to like write it directly from what Joe was saying, but he's pretty much asking like, when was it learned knowledge that detoxing off of benzos would be highly difficult? Okay, that's the question essentially. And Peterson, yeah, in order like. Well, sorry, sorry, just to clarify for people, because maybe they're having the same thought. So when was it learned that detoxing off of benzodiazepine would be difficult enough for you to go to extreme lengths to need a coma? No, I Is think he's correct? just asking like the history, like the history of benzodiazepines, knowing oh. um, like like when did we as a research, oh, like, research gotcha, gotcha. know that benzos could sure. be, you know, something that you're highly dependent on and you could go with the with the withdrawals and detoxing is tough. That's the question. So Joe asked that. And Peterson, Peterson replies, he just, (laughs) you kind of have to watch. It's a little comical in my opinion, but he's just sitting there and he goes, very recently. (laughs) And that's his reply. And then Joe, I think (laughs) Rogan follows that with like another question. And he replies with like a very short, simple answer. So I was like, okay, at the end of the day, this man who is this person who is this yeah, freaking okay, person so at, i am upset so, so at the end of the day i don't know what recently means to peterson i don't know what that means is recently 10 years 20 years 30 years because again no google check there has been evidence of benzos being something that you can become addicted to grow a tolerance to all that since the 70s it's very quick. You can just search it Google Scholar. Like, it pops up. There's articles from 1970s. I mean, here's a quick background. They were developed in the 50s, and they were introduced in the 1960s. Uh, usage of benzos, benzos increased dramatically during the 60s and early 70s. Normal dose physical dependence was first suspected in the no- early 1970s, but it was not until the early 1980s that scientific evidence was ad- adduced to establish its reality and frequency. So so for all fairness, it was the 80s, I think, that we did our most studying on benzos. Like, that's when it really came out. Like, there's, there's an addiction um, quality to them, and you'd have to, like, go through detox and, and t- tapering and all that. 
But that's that's my question of like, he just replies so vaguely very recently. And I'm just like, what does that mean? Does that like, what uh, is 20? Yeah. Let's, uh, how many years is that? I could do math. 2022 minus 1980. Let's put it this years. way, is Megan. Is that recent? No, he doesn't so know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's the one thing where I get frustrated. I'm like, know. dude, like so many people look up to you for the whatever reasons they want to look up to you. But then, like, you clearly don't know some stuff. <laughs> like, you just clearly do not know. Okay. Okay. And I, okay, obviously, I would say I'm, I'm probably the most unbiased sure, person out of the two of us because yeah, yeah. I don't know this guy. And the only thing I know, I right. don't know him or anything like that. And maybe, maybe I'm biased based on like sure, what sure. Megan has told me right. so far in this episode. Sure. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> all that aside, what I can, can deduce from this man. Uh, like you've said two statements now that have right. perked my ears up to make me think this fool, sorry, <laughs> I should, I shouldn't be so <laughs> mean <laughs> that, yeah, that this man does not know what he's talking about because the first thing is like, literally when you said the fact that he was like, oh, mm-hmm. very recently to me, I almost feel like this guy is a little bit mm-hmm. of a narcissist. Why? Because I feel like he looks through everything mm, through his own yeah. perspective and that is his truth right. and that is his fact. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> he said the whole thing about how uh, be- benzodiazepine mm. addiction mm. is an epidemic, probably more so than yeah. the opiate epidemic. Why does he suddenly say that now? Because right. he just went through right. withdrawal. And it affected him Mm -hmm. negatively and it impacted his life negatively, put his whole life on hold for a year. So therefore, in his mind, Mm -hmm. it's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. It's a travesty. It's a tragedy. And then he goes on to be on Joe Rogan's podcast. Doesn't probably Mm – I don't know this guy again. I could be totally Mm -hmm. wrong and off base. And Mm -hmm. please correct me if I I am, Megan (laughs) slash Poison Pals. But from what I can feel, he's on this Joe Rogan's podcast. First of all, why is he even on this guy's (laughs) podcast? That that – that's a whole other can of worms I'm not mm-hmm. going to bring up right now. Anyways, so he's talking about his benzo experience. And then he Joe Rogan mm-hmm. asks a legit question. Maybe he's not sure. He wants to learn. When has this mm-hmm. become an issue, uh, detoxing and withdrawal from, oh, yeah. from benzos? Very recently. And literally in my mind, I can see within his <laughs> brain folders where he pulls out his right. answer. Like in SpongeBob, what's the answer? What's the answer? He pulls out the answer. It's very recently. And in his mind, it's like, uh, February right. 2020, when I, found when out I got it. Yeah. out of my rehab, right. when I found out about it, that right. is how right. recent it was. No, that's that was a very long-winded, angry I, answer. I, I feel you. I feel you. Like, that's – yes, I I completely agree. To answer the question, like, why mm-hmm. is he on Rogan's podcast? So he has been a featured guest on Rogan's <laughs> podcast three, time, three times, and to be totally fair about it, it's because Rogan likes to bring controversial people onto his podcast, thus making Rogan himself a very <laughs> controversial person. So that's a very simple answer there. The thing right. is, with I, I've right. seen the carnivore diet interview with Rogan, and I've seen this benzodiazepine interview with Rogan, and there are times where, like, Peterson <clears> will <throat> answer questions. And I just, I just see on Rogan's face like the math <laughs> going, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't yeah, like yeah. Kind of fully question sometimes, like what Peterson's saying, and like yeah. he does. Rogan does ask like pretty legitimate questions, and Peterson will answer in the way that I just gave that example. But it's not like followed up. It's not pushed really, and I think that's. Well, 
Okay. Well, but mm-hmm. that's that's honestly my my beef <laughs> with like the again the fandom, the toxic, more toxic parts of his fandom, where it's like, like, do you question that? Yeah. Like, like as a as like just a normal person watching exactly. this, are you okay with the answer? Very <laughs> recently, are you okay with that vagueness? Like that doesn't feel inauthentic to you. So that's all. That's my questions. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, I have two things to yeah. say. Now it's getting off topic, but I was gonna say. Uh, I could be, again, wrong. I have not consumed Joe Rogan's content, so full disclosure there. But from what I can tell and know of him, I feel like he is the kind of person who is Mm -hmm. in on the joke, perhaps. Perhaps he's in on the joke. You know, like he purposely brings on these people Mm -hmm. who are controversial. Like that's his shtick. Like I want to bring these controversial people on. Whether or not he believes them or shares their beliefs is a whole other story. I'd like to believe that he's not. And he kind of just likes to have – their ridiculous notions inscribed right. in history forever right. through his podcast. And he doesn't question it because he's like, I just want right. I just want to let them go. Just say whatever <laughs> you want to say. I'm gonna yeah. let you talk and dig yourself into this hole. Yeah. And I'm not gonna say anything. Because I think at some level, we all kind of have mm-hmm. experienced a person like this who is so like in entrenched in their own beliefs that it's useless trying to get them to see reason. So why even question them or argue right. with them? Just let them talk. Right, and then let, let other let, people decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. But that's the issue, right? And I right? think that is actually something that Rogan has kind of used as his defense. You can – it's up to you to decide if it's a good defense or not. Like, I honestly don't give a shit. But I think he has said something like, you know, sure. it's up to my listenership to decide if my guest is, like, credible or not. And I'm like, on some level, that's very true. But sure. it's also like, yeah, if you just – just want to sure. like troll and have a good time doing it and make money <laughs> off of it. Like that's your shtick. Like it is what it is. Like I'm not saying that that yeah. that is what he's doing, but there are times where I'm like, this feels trolly. This- so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So that was just like <laughs> to me. I used that interview as the wrap up of the timeline because that's I think one of the more recent times that Peterson has talked about his benzo mm-hmm. journey publicly, and he's definitely using it now yeah. as like um like a public health message essentially of like benzos are dangerous and like people aren't aware and all these things and on some level that could be true mm-hmm. like i said there's a lot of people in the healthcare field who maybe do not disclose the information that they should be when they prescribe um a drug like benzodiazepines but then there are good people in healthcare that do do that so like it's a i don't know if it's a toss up per se mm-hmm. but i'm just going to be optimistic and hope that like that is something that is told to people when they're told to go on benzos. Um, if you look at YouTube comments, yeah. of course, you're going to see like the opposite of anecdotally, like I wasn't told this. And that's that's shitty if that's the case. Um, yeah, sure. But um, yeah. to me, even as someone who has never been in healthcare or not in pharma- pharmacology or not a pharmacist, all this stuff, I knew about <laughs> just because just because I know the risks <laughs> does not mean everybody yeah. knows the risks, you know, so. It is what it is. Sure. All right. So let's Mm -hmm. get into toxicology. So a a little bit more history. Benzos are a psychoactive drug that were developed in the 1950s and introduced in the 1960s and many more since then. There is a lot of different benzodiazepines on the market. Some are are discontinued. Some aren't. They are sedative slash hypnotics akin to alcohol, chloral, barbiturates, and meprobenic. Meprobamate, 
I don't know what the hell metrobamate is. Apparently it's a psych- psychotic mm-hmm. uh, or sedative. Benzos but. eventually replaced, in <laughs> essence, barbiturates because they were seemingly safer. Um, yeah. We, back in the day, mm-hmm. um, as benzos were becoming more popular, barbiturates, we didn't know that barbiturates had a higher risk of addiction or fatal overdose. So benzos just seemed like the better alternative. Yep. Um, so now that's what we use. And barbiturates are yep. used mostly for sedatives like anesthesia. Or is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Barbiturates yeah. can yeah. be. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think we talked about this once, but it was used to kill mm-hmm. Fred Hampton because right. it's very, very strong. And I, I'm forgetting my knowledge right now, mm-hmm. but cecobarbital, I think it's still used for mm, killing people like in prisons yeah. in, in combination with something yeah. else that I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So it, that gives right. you a sense of why we don't, why use, we don't use it <laughs> And we now <laughs> use benzos. Yeah. Right. It's very intense. Like if the dial is 10, that's barbiturates. If the dial yeah. is at two, gotcha, that's gotcha. benzos. Okay. Benzos reduce the activity of the nerves in the brain and spinal cord by enhancing the effects of the neurotransmitter called GABA. Um, GABA is an amino acid mm-hmm. that functions as the primary inhibitor neurotransmitter for the central, central nervous system. It functions to reduce any neuronal excitability by inhibiting nerve transmission. So that's why a benzodiazepine will give you this sedated effect or like it will, let's say you took it for the purpose Mm -hmm. of combating anxiety. That's why it is helpful there because it literally, um, it promotes the inhibitory response that GABA has on your nervous system. It is not recommended that they are taken long-term as physical dependency can develop in just two weeks. Um, you can also develop a tolerance, mm-hmm. meaning the dosage, like we've talked about this, the dosage you've been taking might not feel as effective the longer you take it. And so you seek out a higher mm-hmm. dose of, of the drug. I mentioned this in the Dorothea Puente episode, but benzos do have a long elimination half-life. There are three different categories yeah. of how long certain benzos have for half-lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the short-acting benzos, which are one to 12-hour long half-lives, which that's a huge range. Like 12 hours is, <laughs> is a long time. Um, there's yeah. the intermediate-acting benzos, which can range from <clears throat> 12 to 40 hours. Uh, um, and... Uh, just to repeat, uh, elimination half-life, that means that once you take it, it takes that many hours for just half of it to be cleared from your body. So Xanax, Rohypnol, Clonopin, and Ativan are considered intermediate-acting benzodiazepines. They have that half-life of 12 to 40 hours. Long-acting benzos are Mm -hmm. um, Valium, Librian, and Dalmain, which have a half-life of 40 to 250 Mm -hmm. hours, like a huge scale um damn what do the withdrawal symptoms usually look like or feel like um most commonly when you start to even when you taper um taper schedule off of benzodiazepines what will often happen is the Mm -hmm. rebound anxiety and rebound panic um so, so for example, yeah. if you originally put on benzodiazepines to combat some sort of anxiety disorder um, and you were to start tapering off or if you were to cut cold turkey, that anxiety that you previously felt before mm-hmm. ever being on the drug will come back like so much worse. That's called a rebound anxiety and it will feel worse because you're used to 
having been on the drug at this point, so feeling like normal and regular. So that anxiety, while maybe like if you were to quantify it, it, maybe it's not technically worse, but it's going to feel really worse. The sucky thing too is, let's say you were put on benzos for a non-anxiety reason, like epilepsy or something, you will still feel a rebound anxiety Mm -hmm. or rebound panic, even if if it wasn't one of your original symptoms. So that's the most common thing to happen when you're going through withdrawal Correct. on benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. And the reason, just really quickly for people, for the reason why that is, is because your GABA, your excitatory GABA mm-hmm. neurons have been suppressed for a prolonged period of time and that your body mm-hmm. is not naturally used to. So as soon as you take the mm-hmm. pedal off the brakes, your body becomes hypersensitive because it's basically really been suppressed mm-hmm. or starved with exactly. this GABA neuron. So it gets super sensitive to that. So mm-hmm. everything feels mm-hmm. almost more heightened, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. Like So that's why it doesn't feel like normal anxiety. Yeah. It feels more And then intense. also like those rebound yeah. um, anxiety and panic symptoms. Sorry, I'm so congested. <laughs> Just uh, deliquefied yourself. Okay, deliquefied. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> Uh, the triggers (laughs) for those attacks, those anxiety attacks, panic attacks can come randomly or be caused by different things that maybe weren't the original cause before. So that's another thing is that like they can be unexpected and that's really, that's really sucky too. Other symptoms Mm -hmm. include disturbed sleep, agitation, hallucinations, psychotic behavior, altered mental status and seizures. Um, that's probably a Mm -hmm. kind of paradoxical reaction maybe if like you get seizures while on benzos but i i think there's conversation about maybe it's not a paradoxical reaction but mostly like a grown tolerance to the drug and that's why the seizures are coming back so that's another thing symptoms subside slowly over the course of months or sometimes years so peterson did say that Mm -hmm. it in the the recent rogan interview it took him about two years to fully get back to normalcy. Um, and even then he said he still felt tremors or like wow. pain in his hand. Um, so that that is like believable yeah. um, because it does take a long time to, to wean off. Even to taper off yeah. that schedule can take a really, really long time. The antidote is tapering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what most uh, pro- healthcare professionals or um, was it drug dependency professionals would recommend um, get on a schedule under medical supervision. The other antidote mm-hmm. in extreme cases is flumazenil, which is a benzodiazepine antagonist. And that's pretty yeah. much it. Sorry, that took so long. I'll edit. Yeah, yeah. actually, Mm-hmm. No, no, that was fantastic. I was just going to say I wanted to okay. take this opportunity to correct myself. This is actually a great opportunity. I did oh. not know Megan was going to talk about benzos. But um, to harken back to yeah. the Dorothea Puente episode, I incorrectly stated that flumazenil was used uh, as – was flumazenil oh, was used for withdrawal, benzos alcohol are. withdrawal. That yeah. is not correct. Yeah. Uh, benzos. It's not benzodiazepine antagonists. Mm-hmm. It's benzodiazepines – in general, so like a benzo agonist, like a normal benzo, is used for alcohol withdrawal. And mm-hmm. now that you guys understand the mechan- the mechanism behind it, the way I can explain it now is uh, alcohol also 
inhibits GABA, your excitatory GABA neuron. So it basically kind of works in a similar fashion. It has other effects, but it works very similar to a benzo where it's sedating as well. Of course, we know that. Um, so when you are going through alcohol withdrawal, one of the things that you mm-hmm. can use, actually the drug of choice is benzodiazepines. I'm not sure if there's like a specific one that is preferred over another, but any kind of benzo is good to have on hand or give. Why? Because obviously if you're going through alcohol withdrawal, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. But what happens is the same thing is you're putting your foot off of the brake again. So now your GABA neurons are going overboard. It's it's like Mm -hmm. a floodgates are all open and you don't want to go over into an intense with alcohol withdrawal. So to kind of just gently ease yourself away and through the withdrawal, you give yourself a low dose of benzodiazepines because it's still going to put like a soft break on those right. GABA excitatory neurons until you're ready to like right. fully yeah. wean off Thank of Thank you for that. Yeah. So another thing, what, what Megan was talking about, uh, when it comes to like pr- prescription medications, what can also happen is, or something that we look for, at least in like the pharmacy area, is how the doctor is writing these prescriptions is really important. So Megan touched on this. Uh, you don't, you can develop dependence on these medications after just two weeks. And for opiates, it's even sooner than that. I, I think I want to say like after five days of not around the clock use, but using it daily, uh, you can develop dependence on it or some kind like a baseline level of addiction. So what you want to look for in the pharmacy is how you want to make sure mm-hmm. the doctor is saying how to take it. So opiates in general should not be given on a schedule, meaning like it's not going to be like an ibuprofen you take it every four to six hours. No, it should say take every four to six mm-hmm. hours as needed, not every single right. day for 30 days. That's never going to happen. That should not be happening because that's promoting uh, addiction. That's promoting dependence. And the same thing goes for benzodiazepines. We want to make sure that it's written as needed uh, only when this person actually needs, which is why like Xanax, you just take it like, Mm -hmm. oh, right before a plane trip or whatever it is Mm -hmm. before sleep as needed, whatever. Uh, Because we really want to do what we can to curb those addictions, those dependence on these types of medications. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's all. Um, Yeah. I want to end with a reiteration. Listen, if you didn't like our opinions about certain things coming out here, I 100% recommend Dr. Grande's analysis of the (laughs) Peterson Benzo story. Just so completely fair and objective um, and the right amount of skepticism. So yeah, and summarizes it in a much better way mm-hmm. than I did. So please go check out his video. But that's it. Awesome. That was great. That I've never heard of this person, and that was quite yes. the up and down story. It was right. a roller coaster ride. Antidotes. Let's get into it. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. Yeah. Uh, antidotes. Yeah, mine is an easy peasy one. I have been spending four glorious days with my family and spending time with my niece who's just a little over one years old and she's just a joy. She's just a joy to hang out with. Um, Also, I want to say thank you to my parents Mm -hmm. because they just came back from Spain and basically yesterday with everyone being home, my whole family being home, they celebrated our one year anniversary for for me and Dave, even though it's like not yet, but we're going to be obviously gone in Europe during our our anniversary. So Mm -hmm. they wanted to celebrate it with us here. And my parents got me this beautiful necklace from Spain, Megan. I don't know if you can see it, Um, but 
it has like stars and moon on it and other cute little like it's gold with like it's gold like uh charms on it with like garnet yeah like the red garnet on it so apparently like they were having dinner in spain and they mm-hmm. passed by it like t- several times and every time they pass by Aww. it they're like we need to buy that for her. Yeah. Like, like it was like an instant thing. Like we need to get that for her. And then my mom proceeded to say that it was on sale <laughs> and it was like almost. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I got upset. I was like, my mom was like, one of them was on sale. I was like, okay. <laughs> and my dad was like, no, was it? It was She's on very, sale. Very quick to just be like, oh, by the way, this is all fake stones uh, and fake gold, and it's just like copper. <laughs> I know exactly exactly. And I was like, mom, are you gonna tell me they're about to throw it out? And you're like, no, no, no I'll take it for my daughter. That is so funny. <laughs> It's like whatever. Anyways, I I, I had That's a great sad. time. With oh, That's I'm glad. Answer. I'm glad you guys had a nice little reunion. <clears throat> Did they get anything for a uh, Sid or <laughs> baby ice shoe? Oh yeah, yeah. They they did. They got <laughs> ice shoe the worst gift ever. It was like the most. The okay. most touristy sweatshirt from Madrid. That's like, like I got this T-shirt from Madrid. Like literally something stupid like that. But she wore it all week. There's and it's now looks like. She, when she runs around, it looks like she's murdered someone because she has so many like strawberry juice stains <laughs> all over her yeah. front because she she still doesn't understand how to get food right, in her right. mouth all the way. So, I mean, I'm 28 and I still don't <laughs> either. So, can't talk. Aww, can't talk. That's so cute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm like, honestly, that's what those shirts are good for, too. Like, if you just need like a kick it's around true. baby shirt that's going to get destroyed, yeah. like, there you go. There's a forest shirt. Exactly. That's very sweet of your parents. And I'm great antidote. I'm glad you got to spend time with them. My antidote, I actually don't really have anything good. I will tell people, I know, like, I, this is not an antidote, but it's just like an update in life. I, got COVID and am currently going through my quarantine. It is the first time I've gotten COVID. Mm -hmm. If there is a silver lining, like if I can make this into an antidote, um, (laughs) it would be that like, wow, I definitely (laughs) failed at being okay stuck in the house after two days. Like, I don't know how that's a silver lining, but I think it's good just to learn that about (laughs) myself. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, day two Mm -hmm. had passed. That was what, Friday? Yeah, I got a Thursday and then stayed yeah. at the house Friday, maybe Saturday morning. Okay, two and a half days, right? I was not miserable, but just so like anxious. I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? I need to yeah. get out. Like I needed I just hated <laughs> sitting. Um and like of yeah. course, yeah, I could like do little workouts or whatever on the TV, but it's just not the same. Like, you know, if you've gone through yeah. it, then you know this is what people have been talking about for years now. So that's my antidote is that I have learned. <laughs> I have learned, but uh, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Luckily. I'm glad. That's the antidote. Like, I I was going to say, like, uh, the antidote is, you know, you are – doing relatively mm-hmm. well like it's it's thankfully like it's not like something you have to go to the hospital right. for it's not yeah. anything serious like that i think you are healthy and on the mend which is I'm very very, happy very lucky um yeah i haven't felt too bad but as you can hear from my voice just been congested so enjoy listening to that yeah and she's such a trooper <laughs> and poison pals like you're welcome in advance because megan decided to do this recording anyway even though she's feeling sick yeah. And she knocked it out of the thank park. You, so you. huge thanks to Megan for pulling through and oh, being a trooper. You. All right. Um, I'll take it yeah. away. Let's see. Don't risk it for the Klonopin biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Just go straight. Let's be straightforward because sometimes Jordan Pearson is not. <laughs> yeah.
Let's not be roundabout. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Love it. Okay, thanks, Megan. Bye, everybody.